Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Father, thank you so much uh, for your word. Thank you that you are a God who uh, speaks to us and loves us and wants us to know you. And I pray, Lord, as we have spent six weeks thinking about you and thinking about your character, we pray, Lord, that you'll, you've, you, we pray that your spirit will continue to convict us uh, of these truths, but also of who we are before you and how we can depend on you and know you as a good and gracious God. And so we pray now, Lord, as we, as we uh, come before you again, may you, may you still our hearts, may, you, uh, may your spirit speak to us, and may we continue. Uh, consider what it looks like to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so I want to share with you guys something. In my home, uh, in my spare room, uh, I have this little corner that I've set up. It's about three years ago. I asked uh, one of our members, his name is Luke. I asked him to come over. I asked Luke to come over and we spent, it was uh, setting up this old CRT TV in the corner of the room. And this old CRT TV, do you guys know what a CRT TV is? Most of you, CRT, no, it's one of those big box TVs, it's not a flat screen. Come on, everyone should know what a CRT TV is, right? A big box TV, like, they're old. 14 inch, I think, it's, it's a heavy box. Uh, and, you know, it has no HDMI connection, it can't connect to the internet, live TV doesn't work, it can't connect it to my PlayStation, it can't do any of that. So why do I have this dust, dust collector taking up space in my spare room? Well, it's not for my VCR either, because at the time I discovered I had kept in storage my old Super Nintendo gaming console. My gaming console that was bought back in 1992, before some of you were even born, right? <laughs> and so I had Luke, who loves retro gaming. He came over, and he helped me set up this Super Nintendo. I, he helped me clean it up. He made it working again. And when I saw it, I got excited, turned on. It worked still. This retro gaming console that I used to love and be obsessed with as a kid. You know, I'd spend hours on this thing playing Super Mario, Street Fighter, Donkey Kong, all these classics. And so we got it set up, cleaned up, I could see it working, these glorious pixelated 2D games on this CRT TV. It brought me back to my childhood. It was exciting. But I've got a confession. Since this retro corner of my house has been set up, I've only touched the Nintendo probably once, and it was probably only for about five minutes until I got bored. Unfortunately, times have changed, haven't they? I've changed. I'm, I'm not that seven-year-old boy that comes home excited from school, getting you know, to the next level of Super Mario, wanting to defeat Bowser, all that stuff. That's just not me anymore. Not only have I changed, but things have changed around me. Look, look, at, look at what we have, the TVs that we have, flat screen, high def, screens are, are, are crisp. Games are in abundance from my phone to my, to my computer to my PlayStation, all these, you know, all games are in abundance. They're more advanced, they're more three-dimensional. Yet nostalgia has this power over us, doesn't it? Like this sentimentality for the past. And the Super Nintendo for me represents for me a time when I was happy, free from responsibilities. I had freedom to play in abundance. What was it for you? What sentimental memory from the past do you find yourself daydreaming about or wanting to recreate? A place you grew up? A family vacation? Carefree days after school? Do you ever find yourself looking at old photos and remembering times of, 
of innocence, love, freedom, only to be snapped back to reality because years have passed, time has changed, and things are just not the same. I don't remember that, that, that building looking so run down, or that bridge wasn't there before, or that friendship was once a lot more fun. Our marriage was, used, used to be an adventure. Now, I used to be able to eat anything without consequences. Our church, our church used to be this small, cozy family. Things have changed. It's all changed. And we've changed too. And often more than not, we go through life wishing things, particularly fond memories and joyful moments, could just stay the same. Now, yes, I know some people thrive off change. You, know, you jump from city to city, job to job, always living out of your suitcase, never satisfied with the status quo, always wanting to improve a better version of yourselves. I get that. I get bored too. But the truth is, we all get to some point where we want things to just settle down, to be in a place of familiarity, to have a security that's unchanging, where we can find a sense of stability in the sameness of everyday life. The question I want you guys to consider today is this. A world where, where change leads to insecurity and dissatisfaction, who or what can offer security and satisfaction that's eternal and lasting? I want to introduce you to the God who is unchanging, who remains the same, our rock that we can depend on. He's the one who is stable and offers security. And in him, we can actually approach change as something that is good and life-giving regardless of the changing circumstances around us. You see, the Bible is very clear and direct about the, at this attribute of God. This is what the characteristic of God. He is unchanging. The word is immutability. He's immutable. We, we read one of the verses earlier uh, from James 1, but let me read a couple more so you can see how clear it is in the Bible. I've got them on the screen. Ooh. Ooh. Thanks, Lindsay. See if this we can fix this a bit. Malachi 3 6 says, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. So it's very clear there, Malachi, he's talking about um, the, the disobedience of Israel there, and he's saying, You know, I have a promise, I'm not going to destroy my people. I, the Lord, do not change. James 1 17, we've read this earlier. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And Psalm 18.31, For who is God beside the Lord, and who is the rock except our God? Yeah, we have these verses, especially in the Psalms there, where there's lots of references to God being a rock, this picture of this, this imagery again and again, of this, this sort of unmovable mountain, unchanging, incapable of change, because God is God. You know, we need God to be the same as well. You know, sometimes in these in, in romantic, you know, lovey-dovey relationships, you call your spouse or whoever, your, your loved one, you'll say, you're my rock. And we use that reference, don't we? Because we want that person, we, we believe that person is dependable, uh, the constant in my life, the one I can rely on. And while that might be true to an extent, is it true all the time? Is it really true all the time that they're a rock? Surely humans aren't that perfect, Right? not always reliable, not always that dependable. But when we speak of God as a rock, he truly is the unchanging one. He truly is dependable. It's good news for us that God is unchanging because it means everything we know about him in the Bible too, that we can, that we can uh, hold on to, uh, we, we can trust. If you, go, if you go back to the week one of our series here, we talked about God's uh, 
incommunicable attributes and his communicable attributes. His incommunicable attributes were all about his, uh, the, the aspects of him that we don't have. Right? I've got the table again on the screen for us. This is what we used in the first week. So you can see on the left side, these are uh, his incommunicable, infinite, his incomprehensible, self-existent, self-sufficient, eternal, etc., etc., right? Omnipresent, all those things down there. But these are the ones that are communicable to us. God is these things, and we can be too. We can be holy and loving and just and good. But remember, it's good that God is... uh, When we think about his unchangeability, his immutability, isn't it good that he's immutable and he's holy and he's loving and he's just and he's good and he's merciful, gracious, patient, all those things? Imagine if he wasn't. You see, all those things about God, it's a good thing that he's unchanging. Whatever God does, we can depend on to act in a way because that's his character of love. That's his character of graciousness, of patience, or wisdom, whatever those things are. And when we're suffering, when we, don't make, when we can't make sense of the world, when we feel like God is distant at times, we can still know God still loves us because he's unchanging. That doesn't change about him. He's still wise. He's still just. Isn't there comfort knowing those, knowing those truths? We need him to be unchanging. That's a good thing. This God is infinitely holy, eternally good, and this will never increase or decrease because he himself is the unchanging, immutable God. I've referenced uh, A.W. Tozer a few times over the few weeks. I've got another quote from him. Uh, he writes a lot about these incommunicable attributes. So on this one, he says, God cannot change for the better. Since he is perfectly holy, he has never been less holy than he is now and can never be holier than he is and has always been. Neither can God change for the worse. Any deterioration within the unspeakably holy nature of God is impossible. Indeed, I believe it impossible even to think of such a thing. For the moment we attempt to do so, the object about which we are thinking is no longer God, but something else and someone less than he. That's a powerful quote, isn't it? When we start thinking God is able to change at all, then he's no longer God. While being unchangeable might sound sound like, okay, that makes sense, it's easy to understand, but it's really hard to fathom, isn't it? Because when we think about the world around us, everything around us is always changing. There's nothing in the created world that is unchangeable. Everything is subject to change. Uh, the, the scientists will tell you from the, from the Big Bang, the universe, it, it, it's constantly expanding and growing. It's changing. So we can see that in creation itself, but we can see it in our human bodies every day, can't we? From being a, a baby with chubby arms to then hitting your, well, 30s in my case, and finding gray hairs, deeper lines areas that are sagging that weren't that weren't before right everything changes our interests and affections they change the things we once loved are just mm, so so now from from fashion to our finances to our friendships even now i i i often uh, talk to young couples who are getting married and and they are in this honeymoon stage and they're so in love with each other and that's great and all yeah this is i can't wait to marry this person and that's great and i encourage that and i love that and i love seeing that but the person you marry today, and I, a lot of the older married couples will know this, it's not the same person you're going to be married to in 10 years' time. Let's be honest. You won't be the same person either. You'll go through different life experiences together. You'll grow. You'll mature. You'll learn new things. You'll go through trials and hardships, and you'll learn that you yourself and the other person you're married to are different people. My wife and I, Heidi, we've been married for... Nearly 12 years. We've been married for nearly 12 years. And she always reminds our friends that, man, she married a different guy. 
When we were first married, she married a guy that was into hip-hop and loved to dance and was extra extroverted. Now I just like to close my eyes and listen to indie folk music, lo-fi beats. It's something that just massages my eardrums, you know, just that relaxing music. I'm tired. I'm not, I'm not the same person. And those moments when we wish our friends would stay the same and not change, but they've moved away and they're different people now, or your, your, your favorite corner shop, you know, you used to buy hot chippies on the weekends, it's now gone. It's replaced by a block of units with young couples and their little pet dogs. Our elderly parents who are struggling with health and old age need more assistance. They don't have the energy or, em- or memory like they once did. Yeah, we all might miss a time gone by. And that's, and that's human, right? And natural to miss the old times. But when it, comes, when it becomes this unhealthy, obsessive nostalgia, wanting to be a person to be someone they're not, wanting the past to be the present as, as if that will fulfill you and meet your needs, you and I in those moments, when we wish things would stay the same, what we're doing is asking that thing to be God, an, an idolatry of the past. We're, we're telling temporary things, changing things, moments, people, to be like the unchanging God for us. But we can't. We can't put our trust in those things. They change. They won't fulfill. They won't satisfy. They can't ultimately save us. In the passage uh, we read earlier in Matthew 7, I do have it on screen, so we can read it together now. Matthew 7, 24 says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. See, everything else, everything else we put our trust in is like a house built on sand, always shifting, not remaining the same. People's, people, politicians, programs, technology, culture itself, nothing remains the same. The only constant there is is change itself, isn't it? The Bible is honest with us. Those things we trust in to be like God will always be like building your house on sand. There is no guarantee it won't change. But to build on the rock, to build on Jesus, that's something you can put your hope and security in. It won't disappoint. It won't fail you. Because you see, when we come to the gospel of Jesus, that he died for our sin, was resurrected to, to save us into a, into a forgiven relationship with God by grace, through faith, not by our works, That truth will not change. The great hope of salvation that we have in the gospel depends on God being unchanging with his words and his promises. Imagine if he did. Imagine if he did change his mind on how we were saved tomorrow. Tomorrow he just changed his mind. He said, "Uh, salvation is going to change. But I mean, imagine if he looked at you and said, oh, what's, what's something petty? You like Taylor Swift. Oh, wow. I don't want that anywhere near me. Sorry, salvation isn't for you. God just doesn't like Swifties. Imagine that. Or you're a cat person, not a dog person. The gospel's only offered to dog people, sorry. Imagine if he changed his mind tomorrow on that. Half of you in the room, gone. Sorry. They're petty, petty examples. But what if he did change his mind about how salvation was secured? Would there be anything else in the Bible we could actually trust or depend on? 
God's promises of grace and eternal life through his son Jesus who died for our sin, that doesn't change and it's offered for all who will receive it in faith. That promise is for you too. If you're here in the room, you might not have grown up in a Christian family, you might not have heard of the gospel, this is the first time you're in a church, you're hearing it for the first time. If you receive the gospel message of Jesus that he died for your sin, you've been saved through faith. You can have a relationship with God you can have salvation secured. That's an unchanging promise. That's offered to you as much as it is to me. We can have that sense of security knowing this reality about who God is. Now, as a Christian, this is also such good news because you might struggle with sin at times. You might rebel at times. You might wonder whether God still loves you. But if you keep running back to Jesus, seeking forgiveness, God's promise of salvation for you will not change. He won't revoke that. If you're concerned about losing your salvation, you can be comforted knowing the unchanging God has already secured salvation through Jesus for you. The promise in Philippians, there's a promise in Philippians, should be our comfort. I've got it on the screen as well. Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident on this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He who began, God who began the good work in you, saving you, will bring it to completion to the day we see Jesus. That's, that's, a, that's a promise he'll keep. I think immutability is such an important doctrine of God to grasp hold on because it prepares us for when we cr- come across areas of the, of the Bible when certain teachings uh, that might get uh, misinterpreted or misunderstood, it's helpful for us to know that he's unchangeable. An example of this that happens in the Bible often, you'll read a narrative or a story about someone, they, they pray to God. And we're told in the, in the narrative that person prays, they beg God to, to not do what he's going to do, so God doesn't do it. And it reads like God changes his mind. And I've heard some people teach this, that if we pray hard enough, we can bend God's will. We can change his mind by the power of our prayer. Can we? Can we actually change God's mind? This is one of those frequently asked questions. And a big reason why I've set aside these six weeks, really, to, to preach to you on the attributes of God is because we need the right tools, the right framework to approach our Bibles and understand who God is and how he works. Because if we don't understand that God is omniscient, right, all-knowing, he's an infinite, he's self-sufficient, he's all-powerful, all these things, he's in control, then what makes us think that we can have power over God to change his mind when he knows all things, when he controls all things? Now, yes, he wants us to pray, and we should desire to pray too. Pray because we love God. We want him to be part of our lives. Yes, we ask for God in in certain ways to change, to heal, to restore, to relent. But that's how God involves us in his plans. We don't change his mind. There's nothing new that God doesn't already know. Imagine if we're all praying, and we're all praying for different things. Who's going to be the one that's going to win? Who's going to be the one that's going to change God's mind here in the room? It doesn't work like that. There's nothing new that God doesn't already know. God can't be coerced or convinced differently or manipulated by us. And so when we come to the Bible, we have to interpret passages, Bible passages like this, God changing his mind. We need to interpret knowing, one, sometimes the Bible uses these human descriptions and language to make him more relatable so we can understand him, especially narratives, storytelling um, parts of the Bible. But two, more importantly, we need to interpret those storytelling parts of the Bible in the context of the wider Bible and the passages that are very clearly that very clearly describe God. Like we read earlier, Malachi 3.6. Let me put it up again. Malachi 
The, I, the Lord, do not change. This is very clear, isn't it? Again, there's another one, Numbers 23. God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. You can't argue with that. That's very clear, isn't it? Very clear descriptions about God and his attribute of immutability, his unchangingness. Again, this is why it's so important. Again, it's so important to approach the Bible with these tools and knowledge of God so that we can understand who he is, regardless of our changing society as well that we live in. Because what happens in society, what happens sadly in every generation, is often, often sadly, Christians, we want to change what the Bible says about who God is. Sometimes people who are Christians as well. For example, they, they, they want God to be more liberal, loving, and accepting. Yes, good things, but also less about justice, less about judgment, less about punishment, less about you know, his, his feelings about sin, less about what, what my sexual preferences are about, whether he allows that, or certain moral laws that we think are applicable to today's culture and society. You know, there are Christians... They call themselves Christians, at least, that erase, they erase the idea of hell altogether. And they say love wins. Everyone's saved. And we start putting our preferences and changes on God and the Bible. And it becomes this sort of slippery slope, doesn't it? When we create our own version of God with our human, uh, I guess, cultural expectations of what we think he should be. Don't we hear these things at times? I mean, the, the one that we hear a lot is, some will say, the God of the Old Testament isn't the same as the New Testament. I like the God of the New Testament. He's a lot less strict. He's a lot nicer, a lot more loving, compassionate, and gracious. But do you see why it's so important that God is unchanging? Because he is, the God of the Old Testament is the same as the one of the New Testament. He's consistent. He doesn't change. We just need to read our Bibles properly. He's infinitely good. He's eternally just. He's unchanging in his love and mercy and his justice. And when we challenge the attributes of God and the way the Bible depicts him as, we need to ask, who really is the God we worship? Is it our version or the Bible's? Let's be alert with how we're portraying God, but let's also look out for the red flags. Let's also look out for the red flags in ourselves when we think we're unchangeable like God. Usually it's in our defensiveness, isn't it? You're arguing with someone, a friend or a loved one, and they're annoyed at you about something you did. You hurt their feelings, or you said something inconsiderate. And how do you respond? Well, that's just who I am. I'm sorry. I can't change who I am. We hear that all the time. I hear that from people who, uh, I've said it many times. I, I hear that from people who, who, who struggle with addictions as well. They say it in defeat and defensiveness. That's just who I am. I can't change. That's not true. You and me, we are changeable creatures. You know, we also say when we accuse others of things, I think everyone in this room, I think in an argument at some point in your life, you've used the words always and never. Surely you have, right? You never wash the dishes. You always forget where you put your wallet. Why are you always so forgetful? How can you never listen when I'm talking to you? We use these always and nevers, but it's all a huge lie, isn't it? It's untrue. We're never that consistent. We're changeable. And we're changeable by design. God designed us to be changeable. Because here's the good news. We can experience real change in this life. Change that is so good. We experience it when we first come to know God. The Bible says that we become new creations. That's the first change. In, uh, I think I've got on the screen 2 Corinthians 
5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. That's just the beginning. We're made new. Born again Christians. Because when we become a Christian, we aren't made, but when we're made Christian, we're not made perfect overnight either. We also know that we struggle, you know, we st- Christians here will tell you that we still struggle with sin. We have issue, issues to deal with. We all know that there are areas of life that we need to pursue holiness in, to repent, seek obedience in God. And he doesn't just tell us to figure it out. He helps us with change. We've been going through this book in our MCGs, our missional communities, our, our, our small Bible study groups here at church uh, called Real Change. And, and if the pressures or the heat in life are causing us to be short-tempered, angry, impatient, anxious, and feeling self-pity, and if we find ourselves stuck, retreating, saying hurtful things to others in retaliation, blame-shifting or not taking responsibility, if we find ourselves acting entitled or demanding of others or just plain nasty in our attitude, we see these thorns popping up in our lives, don't we? And we know that's damaging. We know that's damaging to yourself and to others around you. People get hurt. You're struggling. People around you are with you. We can't say the same. We need real change. Well, here's the good news. Change is possible because you are changeable. And because God has promised to give us change. God has promised to give us change by his spirit, his Holy Spirit that changes us. We can see change is good when God is changing us. Now, I have many friends who read the self-help books. They embrace change, you know, be stronger, resilient, more empowered. They're good, great, best versions of yourselves. Be the best version of yourself. Overcome weakness, conquer fears, all that good stuff. I'm sure it's good. But often all the secular self-help books, don't you find that they're just giving us temporary behavioral changes? Might be helpful for a period of life, but only work for some as well. It's, it's a, it's, it's, you know, we should be questioning it because every year the self-help book industry is huge. It's a million, you know, billion dollars, whatever. It's flooding our shelves. There's always new self-help books out there. I wonder why. Maybe they're not working. You see, God promises us change, not just to be a better you, though, but to be more like Jesus. The one who promises to give us his spirit so we can grow in love and joy and peace and patience and faithfulness, kindness, goodness, gentleness and self-control. Change that has eternal value. Change that has eternal significance. You see, when God saves us through Jesus, he doesn't just leave us to figure it out on our own. He gives us his spirit who helps us to change. And so you'll read it again in 2 Corinthians. I've got it in chapter 3, though, in the next slide. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. See that? The process of change and transformation in us to be more like Jesus. It's what we call sanctification. As Christians, we call this sanctification, this process of change. God does that change in us. But will we be seeking that? Will we address our hearts? Will we be real and vulnerable about the way our hearts respond? About the, those prickly thorns that come out and the way that we respond to pressures in life? We need to be real. We need to be honest. We need to be honest about, yeah, anger, anxiety, need for control, entitled nature, selfishness, pride, whatever it is. Will we bring those before Jesus? And will we ask the Spirit to help us truly change? It's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. Like any good thing, it takes consistency in prayer. We're responsible for taking steps in that direction. But we can trust that God who doesn't change 
has promised that he'll bring change. I've got another passage in Philippians. I just want to uh, finish with this one. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work in his good pleasure. You see, it's both us wanting to change, working that out with fear and trembling, but trusting too that God is at work in us. Will we stop saying this is just me? I can't change. Will we stop saying that? Stop saying that you always do this and you never do this. Let's stop saying that. Embrace the good news that we can change. That's, it can be a good change. And the Spirit helps us to change in a way that's to, to be more like Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but there are moments when I stop and, and I look around. And like I said earlier, I, I, I miss the old days. I look around and I, I feel my age metabolism has slowed down, I'm less athletic, I've got more health issues, and I feel like I'm just less cool, <laughs> not trending. And there are days I miss being young, but more I miss days where I, was, I miss being carefree. And in this fast-paced, changing world around us where things don't stay the same for long, where, where social justice movements come and go, where celebrities, they're, they're cool, one day canceled the next where a look in the mirror makes us realize that we're changeable creatures. Isn't it so good that we have a, a rock in our unchanging, immutable God? A God who's faithful to his promises, promises that do not change because he himself does not change. We need that. We need to know this isn't all that there is. Let's not settle with saying this is just who I am because our flaws and our weaknesses can be changed. Because God is in the process of changing us. The solid rock that we build on, the rock we cling to as finite beings in this changing world. And my hope is after six weeks hearing about this, this wonderful, divine, infinite, eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, immutable God, you've come to a deep wonder and appreciation of who he is and embrace the reality of who we are before him. We are finite. And that's okay. I can deal with being finite, and I hope you can too, because we have an extraordinary God we worship who loves us, who saved us, and has secured for us eternal life with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the infinite, eternal God, that you are the unchanging one. Because you are unchanging, your promises are unchanging as well. We can depend and rely on you. We can trust that everything you say will come true. And so we pray, Lord, that you'll help us to, to walk in step with the Spirit. Help us to be a people, Lord, who uh, know you, desire to know you, desire to live for you, who desire change, good change, where we can uh, produce fruit in our lives, spiritual fruit, fruit of, of love and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and all that. I pray, Lord, that you'll do that in our hearts helping us to become more like you, knowing that uh, the, the world that we live in it will be changing, it will always be changing, everything around us will be changing, but you are the unchangeable, you're the rock in our lives. May we cling to you, may we trust you and depend on you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.